Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. For more than 35 years, we at the Cancer Support Community have been a relentless ally for anyone impacted by cancer. We help individuals manage the realities of this disruptive disease and get back to normal. Whether accessing our free services in person or at one of our 175 locations around the country, online, or over our toll-free helpline, you're getting a team of licensed professionals providing patient navigation, financial counseling, genetic counseling, pediatric support, and more. Well, I've been hosting, frankly speaking, about cancer for about 10 years now, and I can honestly say that today's episode may be the most important I've ever recorded, because in this episode of our special series, Spotlight on Coronavirus, we're going to take a close look at the vaccines we have been hearing so much about that will help us combat the COVID-19 pandemic. We're going to learn about how they work, the approval process with the FDA, and importantly, what it means for cancer patients and their caregivers. I know there are a lot of questions. We're going to dive in. Before we get started, I just want to mention to our listeners that uh, uh, the show is not intended as medical um, advice. We're going to have a good conversation, learn as much as we can, but we certainly encourage you to talk to your doctor about your own situation, uh, about the vaccine, and if the vaccine um, is appropriate for you. So uh, the discussion today is for informational purposes only. So let me introduce our amazing panel that we have with us today. First, we have Dr. Kathleen Dooling. Dr. Dooling is Chief Medical Officer for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC. CDC, uh, and CDC co-lead on the ACIP COVID-19 Vaccines Working Group. Next, we have Dr. Elizabeth Robilotti. Dr. Robilotti is the Associate Medical Epidemiologist at Memorial Hospital for Cancer and Allied Diseases and an attending physician with the Infectious Disease Service at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. Her clinical focus is on the management of infectious complications in patients with cancer, and her research interests are in outbreak mitigation and the prevention of healthcare-associated infections through the combined efforts of antimicrobial stewardship and infection prevention strategies. Dr. Michael Ibarra is a board-certified emergency physician and vice president of medical affairs and strategic alliances as pharma. Uh, in addition to his work at pharma, Dr. Ibarra works clinically in the emergency department at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital. He brings a unique perspective to the discussion as a frontline provider treating COVID-19 patients. So again, we're so excited to have this incredible expertise. We have a lot to talk about in a short time, so we're going to jump right in. Dr. Robilotti, I'm going to start with you. Um, So let's start with the basics. Um, Dr. Robilotti, can you explain Really, as if you're teaching middle school science, um, what vaccines are and how they work. I want to make sure we're all sort of on the same page as we start this important conversation. Oh, thank you so much uh, for having me, and um, I think it's really helpful to get our discussion on coronavirus vaccines started with this important basic question. Uh, When we get exposed to viruses like influenza or coronaviruses, they can set up shop in our bodies and multiply. This is called infection. And our immune systems fight infection with various cells called white blood cells. A vaccine is like a blueprint 
for your immune system to make very specialized white blood cells that can defend, defend us against a specific infection. So if you ever get exposed to the virus that you've been vaccinated against, you already have an army of dedicated immune cells to defend you. Terrific. Really a good, good, good level setting so we can kind of understand where we're going with this uh, conversation, Dr. Robilotti. Um, I'm going to stay with you for a moment. We've been hearing um, a lot about this term herd immunity. Can you help our listeners understand what herd immunity is and why it sometimes comes up during conversations about vaccines? Sure. Um, another important topic that's been out in the press. Um, viruses need someone to infect to keep an outbreak going. And if they don't find anyone that they can make sick, then the outbreak fills out. So herd immunity is the idea that a population has enough people who are protected from getting sick so that the virus can't continue to spread. Now, herd immunity can be generated in two ways. One, based on getting infected with the virus and recovering from it, or two, through vaccination. Um, and here, it's really important to point out that Vaccines are a safe way to generate herd immunity and stop disease transmission without the consequence of people actually having to suffer from the disease you're trying to protect against. Understood, and I think a very important uh, distinction for sure. Um, Dr. Dooling, at the Cancer Support Community, we tell patients to always be sure to ask their medical team about the goal of the treatment being recommended to them. So let's do some basics here as well. Um, Dr. Dooling, what is the goal of the vaccines that are being developed to combat COVID-19? Thanks, Kim. Uh, let me start with by saying that the goals of vaccination are often different from what we usually think the goals are when taking medicine. When you receive a vaccine, not only you receive the benefit, but the potential benefit is shared in your community too. If you are less likely to be infected, uh, you're often less likely to spread that infection to others in your community. And the, the goals of the COVID-19 vaccination program really bring that to a, a whole new level. If we can get enough people in our communities vaccinated against COVID-19, we actually have the potential to stop the epidemic spread of this virus in our community. And so that is the goal of the vaccine is to stop the epidemic spread of COVID-19. In addition to the, the benefits that uh, the individual person will receive in decreasing your, your likelihood of becoming infected. Right, right. Got it, got it. Um, so, Dr. Dooling, I think it's fair to say that the whole nation <laughs> has really been glued to their favorite news outlet over the past few weeks, waiting to hear um, if any of these vaccines in development would be approved by the FDA. We're, we're at a point where that has happened, which is exciting. But I want to understand what that sort of process is a little bit. And we, we, um, we've heard that the FDA was being asked to give emergency use use authorization, emergency use authorization to these vaccines. Dr. Dooling, what is emergency use authorization? What does that mean and how is it different from a regular approval of a drug by the FDA? So emergency use authorization is a term that FDA uses in very special circumstances where there's an active public health emergency ongoing. And that allows a pathway uh, to uh, to allow for use of a vaccine in this case um, in a uh, shorter period of time than would otherwise uh, be the case if there had not been a public health emergency. And uh, to give a very specific example, it's, it's common for vaccines safety uh, testing to go on for six months uh, after a person receives the vaccine. 
uh, in this particular case, uh, people were followed up for an average of two months after they received this vaccine. So it's a it's a small difference, but uh, that's a, a tangible difference in uh, the emergency use authorization compared to regular authoriz- regular um, uh, licensure of a vaccine. And so we shouldn't expect in the future the FDA to work at such breakneck speed <laughs> to approve other drugs that are being uh, considered. Uh, well, again, the, that uh, declaration of a public health emergency is what allows this pathway. What allows it. Got it. Got it. Um, and, and, and I think with that in mind, Dr. Dooling, and I think this is top of mind for a lot of citizens, um, the vaccines have been developed at record speed. Uh, should that concern us? Were corners cut in the science or the research? Has anything like this ever happened before? Uh, There is no doubt that going from identification of a virus and sequencing it to an authorized vaccine in less than a year is is truly outstanding, and it is uh, a a testament to um, to scientific achievement, really. Um, But I think just looking at the the past year doesn't really tell the whole story of vaccine development and how we got where we are today. SARS, many of your listeners will remember, emerged almost 20 years ago, and that was a a novel coronavirus, and we learned a lot from that experience. We were able to get the fingerprints of sorts to understand what kind of proteins it had on its surface and to be able to to understand how it uh, uh, infected and how it caused harm. Um, We learned a lot from uh, MERS, another novel coronavirus that emerged. And what that taught us was we need better technology to uh, enable the development of vaccines really quickly when uh, a novel virus emerges like this. So that work has been going on uh, for really more than the past decade. So although this is an incredible achievement to have achieved this vaccine in such record speed, we really need to think about what we've learned over the past two decades that enabled us to get here at the point we find ourselves in. Got it. Got some good level setting for us to understand that timing. Um, Dr. Abar, before we go to break, we've got a couple minutes until our first break here. Let me bring you into the conversation. Um, Both Pfizer and Moderna have reported that their vaccines are around, they say, 95% effective, which sounds extraordinary. But but what does that really mean? So... um, so as a point of comparison, how effective is the flu shot or, or, or chicken pox? And 95% sounds great, but how do you know if you might be in the 5% where it's not effective? <laughs> Certainly. Well, first, Kim, thanks for having me. Um, it's great to be on. I appreciate all the work you're doing to support the cancer community during this pandemic. Um, and, and you're right. The Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are, work very, very well, and we're really excited about the positive data. And the way that I think about it is I kind of think of the clinical trial that both Pfizer and Moderna um, did, the phase three clinical trial, they enrolled thousands of people. They kind of created this small city. Um, and then in that city, they gave half of the participants vaccine and then the other half placebo, which is basically a shot of saline, um, you know, doesn't have that protection that the vaccine could have. And so what they did then was allow folks to go out and live their lives. And then they observed cases of symptomatic COVID-19 in that city that they created. And what they found is that the vast majority of cases of coronavirus, you know, about 95% of them were in people who got the placebo or saline shot, so did not get the vaccine. 
So that 95% efficacy number is really, really high, and it puts it on par with other vaccines that are highly effective, like measles, um, which is often considered the gold standard, which I believe has about 98% efficacy. And that's also much greater than what we see with the annual flu vaccine that has about 40 to 60% efficacy. Um, so it's really, really exciting data. You know, we don't know exactly who or why the small number of people that got vaccine um, also got COVID. But the good news is that the vaccine uh, arm, the group of folks that got vaccine, um, were much, much less likely to get severe infection. Um, so that's the thing we're very mm -hmm. afraid of. Of course, we're afraid of, you know, the pandemic is, is, is um, right. one issue and then people getting COVID is another and then the severe infection is the third. Got it. Got it. We will pick this up uh, after the break. We're going to take a quick uh, commercial break, but don't go away. We've got so much more to discuss with our guests. Uh, we're going to continue to drill down on the COVID-19 vaccines, um, what the, how they've been developed, when and will they be available to, uh, uh, to folks, what the impact is for folks particularly. Um, with cancer, we're going to continue to walk through this process with our three guests. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. 
Today's episode is part of our special series spotlight on coronavirus. We're taking a close look at the vaccines being developed to combat the pandemic, which has impacted everyone really in our country, but especially folks living with cancer, a particularly vulnerable group. Um, with us today are Dr. Kathleen Dooling of the CDC, Dr. Elizabeth Rebelotti of Memorial Sloan Kettering, and Dr. Michael Ibarra, board-certified emergency physician at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital and Vice President of Medical Affairs and Strategic Alliances at Pharma. Um, Dr. Dooling, at least in broad terms, um, can you walk us through the sort of priority groups that are receiving the vaccine? What decisions have been made? I know a lot of those decisions, you know, are made uh, locally, but what have some of the recommendations been about who should, who should get it along the line here? Sure. At the at the national level, it's an advisory group called the Immun the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices or ACIP uh, that advises CDC on things such as should vaccines be used and uh, if so, in whom. So this group uh, has made a couple of recommendations so far. First, that healthcare personnel and people who live in long-term care facilities receive the vaccine first. Um, and it should be noted that the, when we speak of healthcare personnel, that's, that's a very uh, broad category. That means that everyone from the person who's checking you in for your hospital visit to uh, the person who is uh, making meals, cleaning the floors, the nurse that's taking your blood pressure and the physician that's examining you, uh, all of that, all of the entire uh, uh, care community uh, are recommended to, to receive the vaccine. Uh, the additional groups uh, that have been uh, prioritized for phase one uh, include essential workers, uh, in addition, people at high risk of getting severely sick with, uh, with COVID, and, and also older adults. Terrific. I think that's very helpful, Dr. Dooling. Um, I'm not sure if there's an answer to this question, but can a person find out what group they belong to or, or, or get a sense of when they might be, um, you know, be vaccinated? Obviously, we're talking today about, uh, you know, cancer patients and their caregivers. Obviously, um, I, I uh, you know, just as a, a, a small testimonial, my parents connected with their doctor. My parents are seniors. They both have some underlying conditions. And basically, he said, you know, start calling in January. We don't really know, but start calling us in January and we'll, you know, keep you posted as, uh, you know, as the program uh, program rolls out. But Dr. Dooling, is that the best approach? Connect with your doctor? Are there any other resources to help folks kind of understand where they fit? Yeah, so people with cancer are at high risk of developing severe COVID. Uh, we don't really yet know people who have a history of cancer and have recovered uh, what the, their level of risk is, uh, but, but we do know that the people who have actively have cancer are in that high risk group. And the specifics of where and when vaccine is going to be uh, available in your community, uh, really it's best to sort of pay attention locally, be aware of um, what your cancer resource in your neighborhood, and be aware of what your local public health is telling people about uh, which groups are um, uh, ready to receive vaccine and, and where they can go to get it. Terrific, terrific. 
Um, and, and Dr. Dooling, I, I think this is important. I know there are other vaccines in, in development. I know some have been delayed, maybe due to less than expected uh, uh, results. We're obviously, we have an entire world of billions of people um, that we're trying to, to immunize. But what will the impact of some of those delays be? Do we think there's going to be enough vaccine for everyone who wants to be vaccinated? I know that this, these delays may extend us out a little bit further into 2021 and maybe even beyond, I imagine. Well, there will be enough vaccine for everyone, um, and uh, the degree to which the vaccines that are licensed and authorized can scale up their production and uh, how quickly we get more vaccines, uh, achieving authorization, um, is, is yet to, uh, to be known. Um, but I think it's important for people to know that if uh, they are younger, if they're healthy, if they can work from home, that means you might have to wait a little bit longer while people are older and at higher risk um, uh, or who are providing essential services to the community, um, wait a little bit longer. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. I think it makes sense. And the, the prioritization, you know, makes a lot of sense for sure. Um, Dr. Rebelotti, I, I would love for our listeners to have a better understanding of how some of these vaccines, particularly for COVID-19, help to build immunity to the virus. I know in some vaccines, we're actually, we actually give people a small dose of the virus to help activate their immune system. Is that what's happening here with the COVID-19 vaccine? Um, so, uh you're, you're partially right. Um, it's important to let listeners know that the COVID vaccines do not actually give you COVID. Um, the vaccine strategies for COVID are based on the idea of giving the immune system a small signal, usually a protein part of the, of the SARS-CoV-2 virus um, that can be used by immune cells um, to generate a response. And specifically here, we're talking about um, T cells and B cells, which are types of lymphocytes or immune cells. And these cells will recognize um, your own cells that have been infected by COVID and eliminate them. Um, and they'll also produce antibodies to the virus that can attack any um, intruding fragments of virus uh, to help keep, keep you safe from COVID. Got it. Got it. Dr. Abar, let's drill down on that a little bit because mm -hmm. um, my understanding is that uh, that this vaccine is really a new mechanism of action, right, which is a term of, about how a drug works, right? So that this uh -huh. is a new mechanism of action and that that is called mRNA. Um, so, Dr. Abar, what does that mean? Uh -huh. First of all, kind of break that down for us a little bit more and how, you know, what that means and how, how it works. And then, uh, yeah, I've heard some people have some concern about, okay, kind of you're messing with my, my DNA or my uh -huh. RNA or is it going to change my genes or my DNA in any way? And I'd yeah. love to just get into that a little bit, Dr. Ibarra. Sure. Well, maybe I'll start there and say, no, it does not affect your DNA. It doesn't go near your cell's nucleus. Um, and, and this is an exciting approach. I like what Dr. Ruboletti said because I get that question a lot as well. I think when people hear vaccine, they immediately think that they're kind of getting like an inactivated whole virus or you know, some sort of attenuated form that might make them sick. And that's not really uh, the approach that's being looked at, uh, in particular with these mRNA um, vaccines that have been authorized. Um, there's not a risk that you're going to get COVID from getting the vaccine. And, and I do hear that a lot. So I just wanted to, to drill down on that uh, as well. The approach that Pfizer and mRNA are, uh, that Moderna are investigating is called the mRNA approach. Um, and what they do is basically give your body a small um, strand of mRNA, messenger RNA, 
that encodes for a protein called the spike protein. And if you've ever seen the coronavirus on TV, um, it's a circle that has these little spikes on the outside. And what this is doing is it's teaching your body to recognize that spike protein um, that, that, so that if you're ever exposed to COVID-19 or the coronavirus, um, your body would recognize it as foreign. It's already developed immunity to it because you got the vaccine, and then you'd be able to fight it. Um, so it's a really innovative approach that, to your question, does not change your DNA. It doesn't uh, you know, go to your cell nucleus and make any changes um, to your DNA. It just primes your immune system to recognize that little spike protein on the outside of the coronavirus that we've all seen. Got it. Got it. And um, I, I think we've also all read, Dr. Barra, that um, both of these vaccines, I believe Pfizer and Moderna, require two doses. So just talk about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, what, why two doses? What's the timing mm-hmm. between the first and the second? What if we're off on the timing mm-hmm. of that? You know, give, give us some background sure. there. Sure, yeah. Well, the first dose is kind of the primer, um, kind of telling your immune system to get ready. Um, And then the second dose is really the boost that it needs to get you to that full 95% protection that we've been talking about and that you've been hearing in the news. So it is really important that you um, get the second dose. Uh, The vaccine manufacturers have slightly different timings. And so one uh, really great strategy that I've seen, my ER colleagues that are getting vaccinated now, uh, the government, the HHS, when you get your vaccine, they're actually giving you a card that says which vaccine you got and when you need to come back. Um, so it's a really simple way. It's a good old-fashioned reminder card that we, that we always give out for doctor's visits appointments. Um, but it is really important that you get the, the dose at the right time um, from the same manufacturer that you got your initial dose. And it's uh, 21 days recommended for Pfizer, 28 days for Moderna. Uh, and there are kind of reminder cards, but, you know, everybody should do their part in kind of remembering it. We all have smartphones. Take a picture of that card in case you lose it. Uh, set, a, set a reminder. Um, so, so when we're all lucky enough to get the, get the shot, uh, we always we want to make sure that we do it uh, as per the FDA recommendations and the manufacturer recommendations about getting that booster shot. So I know it's a, it's important, Dr. Abar. I know it's a real priority, but sometimes life gets in the way. Um, sometimes we lose uh-huh. that card. Sometimes uh-huh. we forget when we got that yeah. first shot. So what uh-huh. happens if um, if you're off uh-huh. on timing? What if it's not exactly 21 days, sure. uh, not exactly sure. 28 days? And frankly, what happens if you don't go back at all and get a second dose? Certainly. Well, if you don't get a second dose, then you're not getting that full protection that we've been talking about. Uh, the vaccine uh, protection, for example, the Pfizer uh, data showed that you reach that 95% protection um, from COVID about seven days after that second shot. Um, so it's important that you get both shots, that so you get the full protection of the vaccine. Um, you do get a little mm-hmm. bit of protection after the first um, vaccine, but the way that they're being authorized is for the two-dose regimen. And, uh, you know, and, and I totally am with you. Um, sometimes things happen. Sometimes appointment days fall on, on a weekend when it might not be offered. There's a little bit of wiggle room there. Um, so, for example, okay. if, you know, if 28 days is on Sunday, they might tell you to come in on Monday, and that's totally fine. Um, there is a Got little it. bit of wiggle room, but obviously we all should strive to, to meet that timing that the FDA authorization uh, has spelled out. Great. Terrific. Good advice. Good recommendations. 
Uh, we are going to take a, a quick break here. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Dr. Dooling, I uh, wish you could stay with us longer. You've been so helpful uh, in really helping us understand what's happening here, but we know you have to return to your duties at the CDC, and those are uh, important duties. So we, um, we wish you well in this continued work and research. Thank you for making time to be with us today. I'm going to say to our guests, our other guests, Dr. Robilotti, Dr. Barra, please don't go away. Um, we still have a lot to learn. We have a lot more questions. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking today about the COVID-19 vaccines. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. We are continuing our important conversation about vaccines and how they can help to combat the COVID-19 pandemic here with Dr. Elizabeth Rebelotti and Dr. Michael Ibarra. Still so much more ground to cover. I know we're moving quickly, guys, but, um, you know, we've got uh, just a lot of ground to cover. It's such an important conversation, and you guys are just uh, t- terrific, so we appreciate the ongoing conversation. Um, Dr. Ibarra, we kind of closed out the last segment um, just talking a little bit about why uh-huh. There are two doses that are required, and uh-huh. again, I know for 
Pfizer versus Moderna. There's a different space between vaccine one, vaccine two. Can you just kind of reiterate that for Uh our listeners? Why two doses? What's the space between and how important is it to go and get that second dose? Yeah, certainly. Happy to. Um, Just to reiterate, the the vaccines that have been authorized to date are two doses. The first dose is kind of the introduction that your immune system needs. And then the second is that boost that gives you the full kind of 95% protection that we've been talking about. And it is really important that you get both doses, uh, that you follow kind of the date and time needed, uh, because each manufacturer at this point has slightly different recommendations. And they are handing out cards when you get the vaccine to indicate when you need to come back for your second shot. It's 21 days for the Pfizer vaccine and 28 days for Moderna. Um, There's a little bit of wiggle room, though, as I was saying. So if your 28 days falls on a Sunday and the clinic's not open, they'll probably tell you to come back on Monday, and that's totally fine. Um, The other thing just to be aware of, it's important to keep track of this, and that's why that card is really critical, because there are going to be other vaccines on the market, uh, or we all hope that there will be other vaccines on the market here soon. For example, Johnson & Johnson is investigating a vaccine that actually will be one shot. Um, So it's all the more important and all the reasons to kind of have these cards to keep track of what you've got. Uh, I I made the comments, you know, take a picture of your card with your smartphone, Um, you know, do other kind of tips and tricks to keep track of that date. It's really important to get the booster if you need it so that you get the full protection that the vaccine uh, has. Great advice. Great tips for sure. We seem to take pictures of everything else (laughs) with those phones, Dr. Abara. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Take a picture of that card, plop that little reminder in our calendar and uh, make sure we're good to go. This is pretty important. So um, appreciate those tips and that good advice. Um, Dr. Rebelotti, at this point, do we know how long the immunity from these vaccines will last? For example, I know we go every year and get that flu shot and get that uh, uh, the new flu shot, the new formulation. Do we have any sense of whether this is going to be an annual trek for us to get these two shots or how long the immunity will last? Uh, so that's a, a really hot topic of research, um, and uh, the short answer is no, we don't know the duration of immunity yet. Um, just looking at the natural immunity um, from people who've been infected by uh, by COVID, you know, it's on the order of several months, most likely, and probably depends on the severity of their initial infection. Now, with the vaccine strategies, they've been designed to, to really maximize that so that um, the hope is that the duration will be more akin to people who've had severe COVID um, as opposed to um, mild COVID. But um, we honestly don't know, and it's an area of um, research that will be followed in the in the trial cohort population. So patients who've been enrolled in both the Pfizer and Moderna trial, for example, are going to be followed um, out for uh, up to two years uh, looking at things like exactly how uh, robust the immune response is and how long it lasts. The other key part of that question, though, is the one other thing we don't know about COVID is actually what the minimum level of immune response needed is needed to to prevent um, infection or to prevent severe disease. So um, there are some instances where, you know, our uh, ability to detect your antibody um, on the on the tests that we use to look for antibodies um, may say it's negative, but you actually do have sufficient antibody to ward off infection. And and these are these are not known yet, but definitely things uh, researchers are looking at. Dr. Robilotti, will that um, will that 
antibody testing become more into the mainstream? I know you're talking about, you know, testing and tracking people who've been in the trial and tracking them for years out from the uh, from the trial. Will there be a point in time or a day when the average person can get their, their antibodies tested? Um, so there are some places that are uh, doing antibody testing. Uh, it's mostly in a research context. Um, uh, we don't actually use the antibody testing to make clinical decisions about patients, uh, nor do we use it to to uh, suggest who should or should not be vaccinated. Got it. Got it. Um, so, Dr. Rebelotti, you know, we're a cancer organization, and I'm not telling anything you don't know when I say that cancer patients and their caregivers have been following the news about vaccines closely. Um, they've been a, a particularly affected population, a vulnerable population in many ways. Um, what do we know so far about this? Should cancer patients get vaccinated? Are there certain cancer patients, patients who should, who, who sh- should not? Um, I'm thinking of patients, again, maybe on chemotherapy who have a weakened immune system. On the other hand, there are patients taking immunotherapy and their immune systems may already be boosted or on, uh, on overdrive. Um, what do we know? What do we not know? And frankly, um, maybe most helpful, Dr. Ribolati, what questions should patients be um, asking uh, when they're discussing the COVID vaccines with their medical team? Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for this. This is, um, I think, a really important topic for your listeners in particular. Uh, so, just to be frank, there the data on performance of, vex, of COVID vaccines in cancer patients is not known at this time, um, and there are plans to extend the studies of the different vaccine candidates in what we would call immunocompromised populations. Um, but what you're asking about is more specifically in um, specific oncology populations, so patients with solid tumors or patients who have had bone marrow transplant. Um, And these are really immunologically very distinct populations, and I would encourage cancer patients um, to speak specifically with their oncologist to find out if vaccination is right for them given their underlying uh, type of cancer as well as where they are in their in the course of their treatment. So, um, for example, a person who is imminently going under, uh, undergoing bone marrow transplant, uh, we don't traditionally give any vaccines in that setting, but there are protocols for vaccination after recovery of immune function um, because you want to give somebody a vaccine and have them be able to generate an immune response. So that would be an important type of question. Is it the right time in my treatment course to receive vaccines? Um, For other patients who um, may be on uh, chemotherapy that's not necessarily as immunosuppressing um, as some types of treatment, um, the answer may be yes, this is the right time to give you vaccine, knowing full well that um, perhaps they may not achieve the same kind of um, robust immune response as patients in the clinical trial for COVID vaccine, but they may achieve um, a a level of protection that um, kind of takes them out of the danger zone for getting actual COVID infection. Um, And this is something that... Please. Go ahead. We can we can move on to the next question. Okay. Um, I and I and I would imagine that um, when the caregiver of someone with cancer qualifies to get it, that certainly they should get it because it would certainly increase the protection of the patient. Correct. For sure. Uh, we recommend it for yeah. flu vaccine. We recommend it for lots of other vaccines. Um, and the most important take home message for both caregivers and patients is that. Um, 
from what we've seen so far for the Pfizer and Moderna products, these are very safe vaccines. Great, great. So let's get to that a little bit, Dr. Abora. Um, what are some of the side effects that folks might uh, experience? What does mm-hmm. the data tell us that, that folks experience mm-hmm. when they're taking the vaccines? I know we've seen on the news some folks have had some severe, a um, couple small number of people, a severe allergic reaction, but those numbers, you can count them on a hand uh, or two hands. Um, but mm-hmm. what, um, you know, what do we know about that, about the side effects? Sure. Well, while you can't get COVID, I'll just say it again, you can't get COVID from the vaccine. You can experience side effects of the vaccine, so it is good to prepare for them. Um, And you did mention the uh, couple of allergic reactions that are still under, um, you know, investigation, trying to get to the bottom of that. What happened if it's from the vaccine or if it's from something else? We, We don't know the circumstances enough to draw any conclusions from that at this point in time. And it's important to reiterate also that in the clinical trials, there were no serious safety signals that the FDA warned us about. But they did warn about common side effects that are kind of consistent with what we see from other very effective vaccines. And side effects um, can also just indicate that your immune system is is basically activating. It's kind of getting ready for the big fight. Um, So it's it's like a good workout that you might have before kind of a marathon or a big game. Um, And the FDA does include in the label uh, label of the product um, or the authorization of the product the side effects Um, that you might anticipate. There are some commonalities, but it's important to kind of look at the specifics for the vaccine that you're getting. Um, But some common reactions we see with with very effective vaccines are low-grade fever or pain at the injection site. Uh, Maybe you just feel a little bit tired or worn down, Um, but they tend to be pretty short-lived. And then uh, they also tend to be milder for the first shot than the second shot, which I think makes sense uh, intuitively that that first shot is your kind of first exposure and the second one is your booster where your immune system is really kind of ramping up, so you might feel a little bit more of the side effects, the second reaction, I'm sorry, the second injection as opposed to the first one. And it, so, so the, the side effects m- means your system's working, right? That you're responding. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. You, I mean, so you, know, you, you obviously don't want to feel, you know, uncomfortable, but it's also a good thing to know that your immune system is, is reacting to it. Right, right. We've only got a quick minute until the break, Dr. Ibarra, but um, just uh-huh. some language that you used, I want to clarify. You said in the trials, there were no serious safety uh-huh. signals. What does that mean? Does that mean nobody uh-huh. died? Does that, what does that mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, no, that, so that's a great clarification. That's kind of a buzzword that we use, um, but you know, for everyone listening that's not in the weeds on all these clinical trials, what that means is there were common side effects, but there wasn't anything big that jumped out as a serious concern um, that, that would make it unsafe for the FDA to authorize it. So, so there was nothing major found in these large clinical trials where they created these cities, um, you know, of people to look at the effectiveness of the vaccine, the efficacy of the vaccine. There was nothing that jumped out as a serious safety concern. So these are really big clinical and, trials. And, 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 and so tens of thousands of people, correct? Correct. Yeah, right. In terms absolutely. Of yeah. One had 30. Okay. The other had 44,000. These are big clinical trials. Terrific. We've got more to discuss with our guests. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break here, but don't go back. More coming. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. 
The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo. As part of our special series Spotlight on Coronavirus, we've been having a really in-depth conversation about vaccines and how they can help combat the COVID-19 pandemic. We're with Dr. Elizabeth Ribolati and Dr. Michael Ibarra. Um, Dr. Ibarra, I, I think this is going to be so interesting for our listeners, um, but you actually um, participated in one of the uh, trials for the vaccine, um, meaning <laughs> that you got it in your arm. Um, so tell us about yeah. that experience. Do you know Do you know yet whether you got the vaccine or the placebo? And if you got the placebo, we Hope you'll be able to get the vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's been quite an experience. I don't know at this moment, but I hope to know soon. Um, I learned an awful lot uh, being a participant, and quite honestly, it was just, it's, it's, it's really, I, I, I don't know, I feel honored to be a participant um, and happy that I could contribute um, in this kind of unique way. And you can too. Um, you can go to coronaviruspreventionnetwork.org, which is the website that the NIH set up to, um, you know, kind of create a clearinghouse of individuals interested in participating in, in research related to, to COVID-19. So coronaviruspreventionnetwork.org. I went there over the summer. I put my information in. Um, and shortly thereafter, I got a call from a clinical trial coordinator in Maryland, not too far from where I live at University of Maryland, um, asking if I'd be interested in coming in to participate in the Moderna trial. Um, so I um, was very motivated to do it. I, like all of you, want this pandemic over as soon as possible. Um, and so participating was one way that I could 
could kind of contribute to, to help make that possible. Um, and, and I also spent a lot of time in my day job thinking about clinical trials, working at pharma, you know, what can we do to make the process better for, for patients? And so I could experience kind of firsthand the transportation issues that you might face if you don't have a car or how complicated the questions are that you have to go through if you're not a doctor or even if you are a doctor, how complicated the questions are and, you know, all of the paperwork that, that I had to go through. Um, so it's been quite an experience. Um, I don't yet know if I got the vaccine or placebo, but Moderna's plan is to offer what we call crossover, where if you were in the placebo group, um, you would be um, given the option to reconsent and, and get the vaccine, um, which I will definitely be taking advantage of if I'm in that placebo group. Um, 25% of the Moderna's participants were healthcare workers like me. So um, I do plan to get vaccinated uh, as quickly as possible while still being able to be in the trial so they can continue to collect the information that they need to collect. But um, getting vaccinated is really important for all of us. But for me in particular, um, we're definitely seeing a significant surge of patients with COVID. So uh, I'm, I'm definitely anxious to get that question answered here relatively quickly. I, I bet you are. And just, by the way, bravo to you for being a, being a good citizen and uh, going out and participating in that research. And I also appreciate your bigger picture view because we do make sometimes participating in trials really hard and complicated for people. Uh-huh. So I appreciate that this is giving you a new understanding of the, uh-huh. the patient experience and some things we can do to help patients kind of overcome um, uh, those barriers. Um, Dr. Ribolati, sticking with the sort of cancer conversation for uh, a moment, um, do we know, can a person uh, still pass the virus? Can they be a carrier and pass it to another person once they've gotten the vaccine? So we don't actually know that yet. The trials that um, have been in the news lately have really been focused on uh, preventing COVID disease in an individual and preventing severe disease, which is very important for cancer patients. But they don't assess whether or not these vaccines protect against what we call asymptomatic transmission, which means you have vaccine protection and you don't get sick from it, but you're still transmitting virus. Um, and we we hope to know that sometime soon, but we don't know it yet. And what about this question keeps coming up as well, Dr. Ribolati? What about uh, somebody who's had COVID? Um, should they still should they still get the vaccine? And if so, do we know anything about you know how long after they they've tested positive for COVID that they should possibly get the vaccine? Any data there yet? So uh, the current recommendation for that is that patients who've previously had COVID-19 should wait about three months, which is about the expected duration of the natural immunity before getting vaccinated. Um, And they should definitely get the vaccine because we don't know the duration um, of the immune response from from natural infection. Um, And so vaccination will be a helpful step for them as well. Understood, understood. Um, Dr. Barra, we know that there are still a lot of people who are very skeptical uh, about getting the vaccine. We know that uh, there, there are, in particular, a lot of skepticism in certain minority communities and communities of color. We know these folks have been disproportionately impacted by COVID, but we have a, you know, a, a, a long and, and, and uh, un, you know, un, unpleasant um, history uh, with some of these populations. We won't have time to get into all of that, uh, all of that today. But first of all, uh, Dr. Barr, can you tell us, were communities of color represented significantly or at least proportionately in the, the trials in the vaccine trials? And Uh secondly, what what needs to happen in society for us to help people understand that this is important to do for themselves, for their family, for their community, for society, and that these are uh, really very safe vaccines? 
Yeah, certainly. That's a great question. And it's it's really important that um, everyone feels like the trial represents them um, and so that they feel confidence in getting the vaccine. And I really um, just just recently saw Dr. Collins, the director of the National Institutes of Health, was asked a similar question. And he had a fantastic quote, which was that, you know, a white guy from NIH is probably not going to be as effective in convincing somebody from a minority community that this is the kind of science they might want to trust as a doctor from their own community might be. And that's, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing his quote, but that's what he said. And to me, that I think sums it up so well. Um, and, And vaccine manufacturers did step up to increase the enrollment of minority populations. Um, And so our baseline is very, you know, fairly low, less than, you know, 5% for certain uh, populations, like, for example, Black Americans, um, around 1% generally for Latinx individuals. Um, And they were able to increase enrollment for these trials to about 20%, uh, which I think is a really, really big step that we need to um, not lose that progress when it comes to other diseases. And they did innovative things like... They worked um, directly with, uh, you know, Spanish-speaking health promoters, um, black pastors, uh, identifying uh, clinical trial site coordinators and study coordinators, physicians in the community, um, you know, black physicians, Latinx physicians, so that people that are enrolling, again, they feel that sense of trust because they're, um, you know, they, they, they represent the community that they're serving. So I think those are all really important steps. And the key thing is that we've learned a lot. We've got a long way to go, but we don't want to certainly backslide when it comes to other disease areas when the pandemic is over. Got it. Understood. Dr. Rebelotti, we're, we're, we're down to our, our last minute or so here, but um, everybody wants to know when we can get back to normal. Can we get back to normal after we're vaccinated? Should we still be wearing masks? What is this, what is this going to look like post-vaccination? Yeah, I'm not sure we're ever going to get back to pre-COVID because I think a lot mm-hmm. of things have changed, um, maybe some for the better, one can hope. Um, but Uh, In this period when we're rolling out vaccine to people, and um, as Dr. Ibarra noted, uh, the vaccines require two doses, at least the two that are currently uh, being rolled out, um, it's still really important to practice a lot of the behaviors and prevention strategies that Mm -hmm. we've been using um, in the pre-vaccine era. So uh, social distancing, wearing a mask, limiting um, your your contact with others and frequent hand hygiene are really going to be the tools that will help us get to the point where um, our population is vaccinated against COVID. Mm-hmm. And maybe also help us in general with public health and flu and all those other, all those yeah, other things. That, uh, for sure. We've certainly seen those, uh, uh, this flu season is lower than anything. Yeah, which is amazing. I mean, it just goes to show that uh, we do have some good tools that are in our hands, literally, <laughs> to help combat some of these things. So uh, it, it, this has just been a really fabulous conversation. I'm so grateful to both of you for your work uh, that you're doing to, to support patients uh, for your expertise um, and uh, and all that you've shared today. I know that, that we're, you know, sort of charting new territory and uh, we're learning a lot together here, but um, we really appreciate, um, uh, appreciate all of your expertise, all of you're sharing today. We're going to come back to you. We're going to ask you to come back again because we know this is this narrative is changing by the day, and and um, we look forward to continue to share with patients and family members and others who we know listen into the show and and really uh, rely on our show for some good information. Um, I just want to remind folks who are listening uh, at the Cancer Support Community, we've got a host of free resources for people impacted by cancer. Um, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Our website is cancersupportcommunity.org, or you can call us at eight eight eight. 
793-9355 to talk to one of our navigators. Our services are free for anybody with any kind of cancer, for the caregivers, for the loved ones. So cancersupportcommunity.org, 888-793-9355. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. <music>